Hello, creepers! Welcome to a new episode of Unexplained Oregon. This week, uh, Kim is taking the week off, and we thought that we would focus, uh, just because it's been kind of a, a crazy week, we wanted to do a little bit of a lighter episode. And so this week we're being joined by um, a longtime friend, a friend of the podcast, and a fellow creeper to talk about some um, creepy locations in Oregon. So welcome, Pontip. Hello, creepers. Thank you for having me. Um, I, you know, I've I've been listening since the very beginning. Um, this is my first time being in an, uh, on a podcast at all. Uh, just a little bit about how Christine and I have known each other. We've been friends since the fourth grade. I lived in Oregon for a little bit with my family who has long ties uh, to Southern Oregon. But I left in about the sixth grade, but we stayed in touch. And then somewhere like in our teenage years, I would always come back and visit my grandparents for the summer. And I think during that time, we realized we both shared a love for scary and creepy things. Probably all the sleepovers at my grandparents' house at night, staying up late getting into some shenanigans um drinking raspberry smoothies and here we are just a couple years later uh (laughs) you've got this you know like i've i've been in chicago for a while now and and you're back home in oregon and yeah we're gonna do this thing today Yeah, yeah i'm so excited to do this with you pontip but first we need to um just mention our instagram at unexplained oregon our Facebook page, Unexplained Oregon, and then if you have any like show ideas, any comments, friendly comments, uh, g- gmail us, email us at unexplainedoregon at gmail.com. Uh, if, if you're a friend of the podcast, please go and, and rate and subscribe to the podcast. We really appreciate um knowing that you're enjoying what's happening and and what we're talking about and um you know the mission of this is to really just get together with friends as friends and old friends and and talk about stuff that's creepy give energy to some of these stories and and just really be present and have a good time that's really what this is about so Pontip I'm so glad you're you're here with me today to do this thank you um, yeah, no, I think I think it'll be fun. I'm excited. This is sort of a long time coming. Um, when you first started the podcast, I remember you had asked me if I would ever want to be on an episode. So I was always trying to figure out a way to sort of like tie in something that I'm also interested in with what you guys are doing. Um, so I do love things all unknown, creepy, true crime, long time been into that um, for many, many years. So if you don't know about me, I, so, sorry, I'm like, I'm nervous because it's my first podcast. <laughs> You're a podcast virgin. It's okay. Um, so I work for, thank you. Thank you. And thank you to let everyone know. Um, but I work for a large grocery retailer selling what I always describe as fancy cheese and alcohol here in Chicago. And I have a love for wine and Oregon also is a, is a great, beautiful wine country. Um, but if you also know me, you know that I have a mild obsession with Austria and Austrian wine. And this, weirdly enough, ties, turns or ties into Oregon because there's a lot of Austrian varieties grown in Oregon as well, like Gruner Veltliner, Riesling, Pinot Blanc, Blaufrankisch. So being able to sort of like tie in a thing that's completely unrelated to Oregon back to sort of like my fraternal paternal paternal homeland (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) since my dad's family's been in southern oregon for almost 100 years you know so it's kind of nice to be able to tie all that in together and it's my birthday weekend and i was like let's do something haunting related haunted related because you and i have a really long history of going to cemeteries and taking photos and trying to capture orbs which controversial i know (laughs) then um there was that time when I was uh, visiting you in uh, Florida for a little bit, we took a road trip to New Orleans, had a couple creepy things happen in a cemetery there where I was sure I felt a presence. You determined to make things worse for me by going back to where I felt that strange <laughs> presence to take a recording. 
And luckily there was nothing on the tape recorder, although I think we figured out yesterday that none of our uh, recording equipment or listening equipment was at all what's it like scientific advanced, or technical or advanced in any way. So even if there were something, was something good on there, we were never going to hear it. We put in some good effort. We tried to record. We had lots of camera equipment. We, um, you know, had to get our film developed back then. So I remember having, you know, double prints of, of these cemeteries where we were just hoping that we would capture some like obscure, you know, aberration, aberration, apparitions, apparitions. It was just dust. I think you're right though. I think in the end, like until that first cemetery experience, I think all the cemeteries that we had visited and it was literally people you don't understand. Like if we were driving and there was a cemetery, we pulled over, took pictures, made recordings. I mean, like we were so, we thought we were so about this. Oh yeah. The EVPs, we were all about the EVPs. And of course we, we really felt like we needed to hit, you know, a really famous plantation in new Orleans. Right. So that, that's kind of a creepy story we wanted to talk about. Right. Yeah. And that was another place where I felt a presence or I heard something and and it was because it was the middle of the day. We were not looking for, you know, we're just like, let's take a tour of this plantation, which admittedly I would not go back to now. Um, but, you know, 20 years ago or so, we're like, hey, here's a plantation. And, you know, it's it's got some hauntings happening there, which I'm sure they're all haunted, honestly. But this one How is well known. With all the trauma. Yeah. And, yeah. and so this one just was most notable because people had actually had photographic evidence uh, or possible photographic evidence of some ghosts or spirits. And so we were on the tour... And we were in this main part that had this like supposedly haunted mirror where, you know, you could see a soldier in the mirror maybe or something. And the tour had moved on and I stayed in the room, which is kind of like the foyer room. And the tour had moved on into another part of the house. And I asked the, uh, the tour guide if I could stay back and just sort of take pictures of the mirror when there wouldn't be other people in the room. You know, for our, for our very scientific uh, ghost hunting evidence. And... <laughs> You know, I was just in that room by myself and th- there could have been like one person off to the side, but definitely like I was very much pretty much alone. And then I heard a voice call out or say something and I walked into this next room and I think I even said out loud, oh, I'm right here because I thought Christine had just like come back to the the first room looking for me. And then when I went into that room and said to no one, oh, I'm right here, <laughs> I like put my camera back in my purse and I think I just like ran through the rest of the house to catch up with everyone and then when I finally saw Christine she's like what's up and I was like I just thought I think I said like I just thought I heard you talking to me and there was nobody in the room and and that was enough for me I remember you coming back in and like finding me I can remember like even though this was like 18 years ago I still remember like the layout you remember the house really well but yeah, I remember the mirror. I remember you coming in and like finding me and having, you know, sharing that experience and you were pretty startled. Um, and also I had like we looked at my cell phone, which, you know, was a really like outdated cell phone now, but like really difficult to do anything on these older cell phones. But my cell phone was like turned off. So we were like creeped out because my Cell phone was never turned off because I had it on for emergencies always. And I think we kind of felt like there was something there uh, for sure. Like between our, our, both of our experiences. Yeah. And I think it, I th- and what I think struck me the most was that it was the middle of the afternoon kind of a tour. So, you know, at late at night and you're walking around and you're looking for every little thing and every little sound. And this was just sort of like, Oh, Hey, it's the afternoon. Like, let's go do this thing. And, I feel like the voice I heard was very clear. Like it was clear enough that it it didn't even occur to me that it could be something like spooky. Like I was just like, Oh, I'm right here. And then empty room. And I let's go. (laughs) I'm, I'm ready to go home now. Yeah. And that plantation is definitely, you know, the Myrtles plantation is definitely one of the most like infamous plantations. I would say 
probably in the United States. It's pretty well known for being haunted. It has this infamous photo of Chloe, which you can look this up if you want to online. It, it, there's this photo of what they think was like the slave girl that's attached to the property. And the photo's pretty compelling. And that's how we got sucked into going there to visit. And, uh, you know, we probably took a thousand photos and nothing came out. Uh, we never found Chloe. But uh, yeah, I mean, what a great experience. But like you said, would we go back and do that now? Mm, no. <laughs> less that, not unless that plantation was offering reparations to, to yeah. families who, you know, uh, that they enslaved on their on their property like no way I'm not giving them money yeah. <laughs> so yeah and I don't recommend it's that so, people do yeah but I mean that kind of started some of our exploration like you know we had done like the ghost tour in New Orleans and then driving around to these cemeteries taking lots of photos and really getting like trying to get creeped out trying to find evidence putting like recorders in the house our house and never, never really picking anything up, but we were, we were trying hard. We were, you know, but I think we also knew that, and it was kind of like what happened at that house was if, if something actually happened, we would be done. Like, I wasn't interested in like, let's go back into that room and find out what happened. I was like, you know what? I felt something weird. I don't like this. It's too real now. I'm ready to go home. Let's go to Bourbon Street and drink some hurricanes. <laughs> And I think we did. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. So um, fast forward to like more recent um, visits with each other, you know, because that was quite a while ago. And we, of course, you know, I was joking that on my Facebook um, memory yesterday came up. uh, You had messaged me like 10 years ago. Hey, Christine, I'm watching just started watching my bloody valentine and you were like giving me an update on that movie because you would you know it's pretty good little gore you know whatever and and so it's so funny to like track our history of just like sharing all things creepy books movies shows whatever um and so you know we got to continue this with uh when was we got together geez when was that 2018 um, to do some, some winery things here, some, you know, focus on your love of wines. And we got to visit together here in Oregon, which was so cool for you to share this part of your life with me here and your knowledge of wine. It was really fun. Where were we again? I get kind of like, we were up in, was it Dundee? Dundee area, right? Willamette Valley. Uh, yeah, we stayed on the property of Day Wines um, in in the behind the tasting room in a little airstream, and then I got to take you on a couple adventures to meet some people. I'm fortunate enough to have been invited to Oregon Pinot Camp, which, if you are a wine professional, you know how exciting that is if you've been, or how exciting it could be if you get to go. And it really was, I, I would almost venture to say, life changing because of of my history with Oregon and being able to go back there as an adult, as a professional. Um, Mm -hmm. I did not know that I would need to load up on allergy medicine, which I was unprepared for. And my allergies kicked back in real severe uh, during my whole time there, which made some of the tastings a little difficult, Uh, but, but the educational. You were hung up on allergy medications. Oh, people were asking me if I was okay because I, I think I looked like I had been crying for three days, and I was like, I love being back here, but I am not crying this hard about it. <laughs> uh, but the educational portion of it, of Pinot Camp in general, is just inc- incredible. Like you learn so much of the history, mm-hmm. and then just of what's going on there, sort of like where they're going as well, and the land, and you know, it's just. It's just an amazing opportunity if you're able to be a part of it. I recommend it. Um, unfortunately, if you've gone once, you can't go back. So all I can do now is just go back and visit Christine and my family and then just revisit some of the wineries that way. So when Christine, so I digress. <laughs> um, so yeah, so because I love wine, because I love Oregon, because I love Christine and I love haunted things, I was like, let's tie this all in together. So to have like a lighthearted episode, um, 
and to just sort of like talk about our, our friendship and our, our, our love of haunting and haunted things. I was actually able to find a couple stories. I found a few stories, but like two stories that actually involve local wineries in that area. Ooh, awesome. Yeah. And were these any of the ones, did we go to any of these when we were up there? I don't think we did. No. Okay. No. Um, but, but yeah, so when I was at, actually when I was at Pinot Camp, one of the nights when we were leaving, uh, we were, you know, we we're driving past, I think we were driving past the Lafayette Cemetery, which is in Dayton. One of the guys in the car was like, because I, because I can't not talk about how I love spooky things and serial killers and whatnot. And he was like, oh, he's like, that cemetery's haunted. Like, we should go there. And I was like, we should go there. And they're like, no, it's too late. <laughs> and then, like, I think they didn't really want to go there. But I was like, I, I would have gone that night. But I think we'd also been drinking copious amounts of wine. Um, not the person who was driving. Uh, but yeah, so like we were not prepared to like really put ourselves into a haunted cemetery situation. I likely would have scared us all out of our wits uh, just because of being there. Um, but yeah, so like we passed by the Lafayette Pioneer Cemetery in Dayton that night. And so then actually one of the stories, do you want me to just go into the stories? Yeah, okay. about it. So my first story is about Lena Elsie Imus. Uh, she died by suicide in 1908 and is buried in Lafayette Cemetery. She died on December 19th, 1908. The Newburgh Graphic newspaper at the time wrote that a quote unquote despondent Lena swallowed a toxic liquid at her family's home in Dundee. That home is now a part of Argyle Winery. Uh, yeah. So Lena's parents had run the Dundee post office and in an unlikely move for you know she's 23 years old woman um i think the times at that point were changing and women were starting to like leave home even gasp unmarried uh i know crazy but she went to attend business school in portland however that dream was cut short when her father passed away in 1907 she returned home to help her mother at the post office but a year later she was dead i know uh, so in 19, fast, to use fast forward again, uh, in 1987, Argyle Winery was founded by Rollins Souls. He had originally wanted to make, I don't know if it was originally or it was just sort of like the way in just because of the land and the, the way the grapes grow. He, his idea was to make sparkling wine, but now they have like a full line of sparkling wines um, or sparkling red and white wines. And I actually bought a bottle of their, one of their, their sparkling brutes to drink but we're now at the day three of a weekend where I've been eating like the craziest things, just sitting here at home, like just, yeah, just eating a lot and totally. drinking a little bit, yeah. but yeah, like I want to enjoy it. So I'm going to save it for another day. Should have started done this Friday. Um, but yeah, it's delicious. They're sparkling, but okay. So in 1998, souls embraced the winery's history and created the spirit house, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Which is kind of nice though, because it means that they don't view her as like an evil spirit or something to get rid of. Sure. You know, so I think she was probably, you know, like everything that I'm about to describe just sort of describes her as like sort of like a, a gentle spirit, if you will. Um, she's seen as more of like a mischievous spirit. Stories of repairman's tools floating in air, the smell of her perfume, which I guess was a very overwhelmingly floral. I probably would have really loved it since like old rose is like my favorite smell <laughs> yeah footsteps in empty areas as well as glass shattering only there's no glass to be found and i think there's been reports of of sounds by staff and guests who are staying at what is now called a spirit house which i think was their tasting room for a long time but they also think that she could be haunting the cemetery lafayette cemetery as well that's so interesting it makes me want to have try the wine <laughs> and I think I think you should be able to find it down in Medford I, I can't imagine why not I mean all of the the other winery is also distributed locally it's not I, I can get Argyle wine here but I can't get the next one out here they don't distribute out this way yeah I feel like I've definitely seen it in the grocery store I know our plan was to have some while we were recording together but we're recording early in the mornings usually and so I <laughs> thought we should hold yeah off. I mean you know to each his own but yeah, I, I agree. It was, 
I did drink my coffee out of my uh, Pinot Camp uh, cup that I got. So there was that. And I have another story related to a winery. Um, and I actually think this story, not the winery part of it, but I think the general story is common all along the coast from you know, California up and through Washington, uh, takes place in about the 1850s-ish along one of the old military roads used for uh, navigating for traders, trappers at that time. Uh, you know, Oregon is very mountainous terrain if you're not familiar with Oregon. Eastern Oregon is, I think, pretty flat. Uh, yeah, Eastern Oregon is pretty flat. Western Oregon, lots of mountains, steep hills. Not the easiest to just navigate in the, you know, 1800s. You know, when you got your horse in a wagon, maybe an ox helping you pull things a through. A donkey, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I'm just thinking of these like poor little donkeys, like trying to just carry people's crap like up through all of this shit. Um, people with pots and pans. Yeah, so a lot of these, around. so a lot of people in these areas, I was actually reading a, a different article about uh, the old military roads, and so they would create these like military roads, used for the military, but also so that just people could just get around. And so this one particular road ran from Southern Oregon to Portland, um, probably like an I-5 kind of situation. And in the 1850s, gold was discovered in Southern Oregon, and like in California, Oregon experienced a gold rush. A prospector, we don't know his name, was traveling to Portland to sell what he had found. Uh, likely some gold, maybe he had some furs, who knows. And he decided to stop for the night with his horse at the top of a hill, then known as Bayless Farm in Carleton. Sometime during the night, the prospector was robbed and killed, and his horse was also killed. And to this day, the miner is said to roam the hill looking for his stolen gold. But I want, but I want to know if there's also a ghost horse. I want to see. I want to see the ghost horse. Yeah, poor horse. <laughs> but at least he's not alone. True. True. Yeah. So the hill is so. The hill is now called Ghost Hill and still belongs to the Bayless family, who founded Ghost Hill Cellars. And they actually make a variety of Pinot Noirs and even a white Pinot Noir, which you don't see too often, and a rosé. So I think next time I come visit you, we need to hit that up as one of our spots. Get oh some, my gosh. Get some bottles. So I think we're just going to do a whole tour of the whole area and get some bottles, <laughs> no matter what. So what's the difference between like a red and a white Pinot Noir? Noir. 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 All, all, Noir. all wine. Grapes, except for a couple types, uh, have white juice. So all the color from Pinot Noir or any red wine comes from the skin and how long the juice sits on the skin. So to gotcha. make a white Pinot Noir, they just take the Pinot Noir grape, press it. If you leave it on the skins for a little bit, you get rosé because a little bit of pink kind of seeps out. And, you know, so if you just press it and drain the juice off, then you get like a white Pinot Noir, which okay. I don't even I honestly don't even know if I've ever had a white Pinot Noir. Oh my gosh. And people come into the store asking for it all the time. And I'm just like, we don't have that (laughs) because it's not very, it's not very common. I don't. Yeah. But so that was interesting to see that they have that and their whole line is just all Pinot Noir. So that's pretty cool and interesting. But yeah, so apparently there's an old prospector that roams the hills looking for his gold. Look out for the old prospector with his horse. And drink some wine. Get drunk just, and look just, for the prospector. Just get drunk on the hill. Look for this old prospector and his horse. <laughs> and then maybe maybe leave maybe leave a little piece of gold. Maybe leave a little gold coin Aww. for him. You know. Leave something there for him. Maybe yeah. an apple for the horse. Exactly. Oh, that would be so sweet. I don't know why. <laughs> like like that would be the sweetest thing ever. Like leave a little gold coin and an apple for the horse to honor the prospector. Totally. Okay. All right. So I do have one more story, my final story, which I think kind of brings us, starts up there, but then kind of does bring us back down to Southern Oregon, which ties into a story, uh, a few things that you found out also. Um, My portion of this haunted episode is, of course, going to involve wine somehow, so I just couldn't not. But I think the the most well-known story for Lafayette Pioneer Cemetery is 
the the hanging of Richard Marple. Uh, November 11th, 1887, Richard Marple was hung for the murder of David Corker, a local businessman. He murdered Corker in a robbery gone wrong and ended up brutally killing Corker with an axe. As I mean, I don't think there's a nice way to kill someone with an axe, oh but boy. this was definitely pretty bad. Uh, some say his mother, Anna, was an accomplice because she may have been having an affair with Corker at the time and helped her son gain access to Corker's home. She was never formally accused, but Richard was convicted and sentenced to death. At his hanging, which took the unusually long time of 18 minutes, because I guess his noose wasn't uh, put around his head correctly and it had kind of slipped, so it ended up like this dragged out choking uh, would happen. And so then while, you know, his mom was there watching this happen and obviously very upset, she cursed the town that it would burn. And (laughs) consequently, there were a couple of major fires. One in 1904, which was still like 20 some years later, uh, in 1904, which completely wiped out the business district and another in 1928. But I also have to think that during that time, I mean, we both have families that have you know ties to the lumber industry in Oregon. There were probably a lot of fires. Um, but, you know, people like to point a finger and maybe this like woman yelling about her son being murdered, uh, cursing the town. They're like, let's let's yeah. put this on this lady, yeah. you know. Let's find someone to blame. But I think fires were like pretty common. I would have I to think, think that... so, but maybe these were two like dramatically big fires. But I feel like because okay. they were so far apart, uh, I I don't know. But you know, who doesn't love a good cursing of a town? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, cursing but... part is awesome. But they think she's haunting Lafayette Pioneer Cemetery. But she is buried in Jacksonville Cemetery, which is close to you in Southern Oregon, which is like two hours drive south. Um, yeah. But some locals think it could be Anna roaming roaming the grounds. Uh, you know, they hear a woman laughing. They think it could be her. Um, but I think also, like we she talked about this. She went to the wineries. <laughs> she prob- maybe. Drinking some fermented grape juice. Uh <laughs> But I think also, like, I, I think it's not crazy to think that she could also be there just because it's tied to her trauma of see, watching her son being hung, perhaps, which I think is another popular idea of, of why places are haunted, even if that person isn't, like, buried there or was murdered or killed in this place or died there. You know, that it's it's sort of their trauma connects them to a place, maybe. Um, yeah, so she could either be, it, they think it could be her also, her and Lena. Okay. Oh, also, if you want a more detailed account of Richard's crime against David Corker, uh, you should go to offbeatoregon.com and find the article titled Brutal 1886 Axe Murderer Pageant Couldn't Have Been More Sorted. <laughs> I love that title. But the article is really good, and it goes into detail about his crime, uh, possible uh you know, reasons for it or how it all went down, but then also like how things went down at his trial with some jurors and then his, and then his hanging. So. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, regardless of, of like, you know, whether or not the curse was actually, you know, real or made a difference. I mean, there's definitely trauma and a lot of history tied to um, the state of Oregon and all the different like, you know, things that have happened on the land. And we were talking about this before we started recording that, you know, just the the terrain of Oregon, how people came here to mine for gold or, um, you know, the early orchards here in like Southern Oregon were pears and now it's changed to, um, you know, grapes and cannabis and hemp and just kind of the way the, the history of the land here really um i think like we said logging used to be really popular here it still is but um you know that was a big industry here in the state of oregon also so just all the history of of what's happened in the state and the trauma right what's tied to the land and um which brings me to my part of the story here. So this is interesting because we we kind of were talking about what we wanted to do for this episode together. And, 
It's so funny how we have all this history together of places we've been. And I remember some things, you remember th some things. Thank goodness that we both have each other to like remind each other of, our, of the things that we've done together or what we've experienced because it's a long history. Um, but I was telling Pontip about how uh, a long time ago, gosh, it was probably, probably 20, 20 years ago. Oh no, this was probably like 23 years ago. We hiked a trail here in Southern Oregon and it was called the Jinlin Trail. And you had like no recall of this event, which is fine. I mean, it was like a brief little visit and we did a hike. But uh, so we kind of looked more into the Jinlin Trail. And I'm going to pull out this photo because I specifically remember what you were wearing. You bar borrowed a shirt or a jacket because it was kind of chilly. I remember the photo. So I'm going to pull it out and, and post it. Um so this trail is like kind of infamous in my family we we used to hike it all the time and then we would like go out to eat afterwards so it'd be like let's go hike what's kind of cool is this trail ties into sort of this area that's around jacksonville and so it kind of inspired me to look into like what what's up with the jinlin trail and like the history is it haunted is it creepy because i always thought it was a little bit creepy it's definitely um like a forested canopy so the trail is um near the applegate valley and you wander through historic mining sites that date back to the 1850s. So this ties into your story that around the 1850s, uh, it started apparently in like Sacramento, people started finding gold, and then uh, word got out to like other countries and people from China started, you know, there was like issues happening in China at the time. So it caused people to come here for the gold rush and the intent was for them to always like hit gold, get rich, and then go back to China with it. So most of these people weren't planning on like actually relocating to these areas. They were just here temporarily. Uh, but this kind of like started these little tiny towns that were set up for people who were you know working and mining. So they created these small little towns that would have like you know, a, a store, a saloon, a church, whatever. So these little towns had kind of popped up around the area down here in the Applegate Valley. And so uh, I don't think the Jinlin Trail is haunted. Couldn't find anything about that. And yeah, and I, you know, I'd never thought of the name and I know you've brought it up before because you're, you know, this is a hike your family has, I think, always done, you know, since you yeah. were a child and I know you've taken your girls on it. And then I, I looked it up briefly and then it was sort of like reminded of, you know, um, immigration to Oregon and how like, you know, Jinlin is, or that's probably not how it's pronounced, but, but Jinlin was an, a Chinese immigrant businessman, I think, who started it. And I'm sure you'll get into that. But that was just fascinating for me because like, I don't really feel, I don't think of a, an overwhelming Asian presence when I think of Oregon <laughs> or even right. Southern Oregon, except for the fact that Weirdly enough that when I was a kid growing up and my mom, you know, when we lived there, uh, she's Thai and she had a lot of Thai friends in Medford and a friend of hers had a Thai restaurant in Grants Pass. So there's this like, so there's, there are these pockets of, of different nationalities and ethnicities like in Oregon that I think people aren't really aware of when they think of Oregon and, and who lives there now or who lived there 20, 30, 100 years ago. Right, right. And why would there be these pockets and what was sort of the origin? And and yeah, he, um, he did like, he was already a boss, Jinlin was. I'm sure we're not pronouncing it right. But when he got here, he was already like well-established. But um, he did strike it. Like he did, he was successful here. And the rumor was that he... He ended up taking, you know, whatever he gained here and he took it back. And, and you and I were talking about what happened to him and trying to find out, like, what actually happened to him and who was this dude? And um, so the rumor, what I read was that he 
there was one side that said we don't really know what happened to him and and then another one suspects that he was killed after getting immediately back in you know getting back to China because of course he was wealthy <laughs> like really wealthy and so they murdered him for his um for his gold and his money so um yeah, I mean, the, the trail's really accessible. It's it's fun, it's quick, it's easy. But what's kind of cool is it started me thinking about, like, what's around, like, the trail. And there's wine country down here also. Like, we could literally do a tour of southern Oregon and just work our way up, you know, along the coast even. And then up to, like, where we were you know, in 2018 together and just keep going. We could go up to Washington State even and just like keep going. Oh, and then we'd have to start down in California though, right? <laughs> if we're just gonna do this like wine trail thing, um, we could start literally anywhere in California and then uh, work our way north. But I would, like, I would like to go back and do a Rogue Valley specific wine tour with you. Yeah. I think yeah. just because like, you know, my family's been in the Rogue Valley since the 1930s. If, I, and I honestly don't know when they got there. I, I could probably look into that. But I know we've been there since at least the 1930s because my grandfather went to Phoenix High School and graduated in 1930-something. You know, and my father and my aunt and uncle were both born, you know, locally to where you are right now. And my dad lives there in Medford, or White City. Um, so yeah, I would, I would love to be able to go do a full-on rogue valley wine trip i'd have to drive out there so i could bring all the wine back <laughs> like yeah. there's no chance i'd go there and just get like a bottle from a place like i'd have to really do it up uh yeah. but yeah i think that would be really fun and then also of course tying into this episode but which really is just like an extension of our own personal histories of you know these little mining towns and haunted wineries and so yeah, we need to do a tour because did you know that um, there's an abandoned mining town here uh, in Buckham, which is in Jackson County. So down here by me, um, it's abandoned. It's from the mid 19th century uh, and it's one of Oregon's best preserved ghost towns. It was founded in 1851 by Chinese miners after gold was discovered in Jacksonville and Sterling Creek. Uh, in addition to gold, the, the mines contain silver, chromite, and cinnabar. In its heyday, Buncombe had a saloon, a general store, and a post office uh, was added in 1896. Besides gold miners, Buncombe attracted farmers, ranchers, and loggers. Only three buildings from the past still survive. The bunkhouse, the post office, and the cookhouse are protected and preserved by the Buncombe Historical Society, which organizes an annual event. So maybe you need to come here in May and we'll go, you know, after COVID, and we'll go and, like, tour this place. Um, I didn't know that this was, like, here nearby. Uh, and also there's a cemetery... Uh, nearby also called the Sterling Cemetery which is also near like the town itself is already been like demolished like there's nothing left of um, let me see Sterlingville but the cemetery is Sterling Cemetery and apparently there's still like some headstones and different things um, and they say it's not haunted but uh, there's some p pictures of like the creepy like growth around these headstones and stuff and it looks it looks haunted i'm pretty sure we could catch something here but <laughs> maybe poison oak i don't know um so the sterling cemetery is about 4.2 miles from buckham um it says it isn't haunted but this graveyard is all that remains of the gold mining township of sterlingville stop at the aluminum gate on the dirt road and enter the cemetery through the side gate a sign displays how a 1,200-person town grew after miners James Sterling and Aaron Davis located a gold strike in 1854. As miners arrived, stores opened, a saloon, bakery, and boarding house, and a warehouse. Today, Sterlingville is overgrown with trees and brush and poison oak and a trace of where it once stood, with no trace except for the cemetery. But it's completely plausible that the ghost hill 
ghost would have stopped there because it's around the same time it's within like a five ten year difference yeah. you know of of the gold rush happening and these towns like boomed like, i mean when they say there's a boom that's like literally what happens it's like thousands of people get to a place but the minute the gold dries up or people stop finding things and stop making money everything just goes back to the land essentially but yeah there's no reason to think that like our guy in ghost hill stopped in sterling on his way north the last one that i thought was really interesting i wanted to tell you about was uh golden which is another ghost town uh let's see here golden and that's in josephine county so that's like more north uh it's now completely abandoned but golden is a true oregon ghost town the city was established during the 1840s gold rush and began as a mining camp on coyote creek it developed into a town around 1890 a hub that served people working in more remote places nearby at its peak more than 150 people called golden home there was a church a post office an orchard and a general store however it didn't have any saloons. And I read because the founder of the town was actually um, a pastor. And so he was like very uh, adamant that there would be no saloons there. And also the church uh, that I believe is still open and remains there is supposedly like the hotspot for hauntings. Uh Golden sits on peaceful woodlands and has its own historic district, the Golden State Heritage, Heritage Site. You can explore the four remaining structures, a residence, shed, church, and the building that housed the store and post office. So, ironically enough, I want to also just point out that Zach from the Travel Channel's Ghost Adventures has done an episode from Golden. Uh, and also an episode at Myrtle's Plantation. So, we have literally, we have literally, literally visited places. Or we are near, or we will visit Golden. We have, we have been in the midst of the great ghost hunters it's nice to like to visit and then have like a little bit of a plan to not just do our usual you know drink coffee uh for six hours and and chat all night which is great but you know <laughs> we need some wine in there i'm really pleased to find out that there's like these little hot spots around us that uh are like adventurous and and fun places to seek out and look i mean i think i don't know if you heard our our episode pontip i'm sure you did of Sasquatch and how down in in this area is the only Sasquatch or Bigfoot trap set ever that we know of. So maybe we can add that to our trip because it's down in the same area and we'll leave like a bottle of wine for for Sasquatch or something. I mean, what would we leave for I him? think we would have to know. leave it like in a in a goat's bladder or something. I don't I don't know that he would have a a bottle opener. <laughs> Uh, you know, so, something a Sasquatch can manage. Like, we want to be, you know, inclusive. This has been really fun, how we came about, like, tying our history together and our, like, love of wine, love of creepy stuff. Well, I'm I'm totally open to, like, getting into wine. I have been, like, being mindful of my alcohol consumption lately. But I think that there's something appealing about... Uh, understanding like what we're growing here in the state of Oregon and like how the land is developed and and the benefits of like living near all these wineries and how fun this could be to to learn more about wine and I can't wait for you to come for a visit so we can go and do check out the wineries do a tour of these little ghosty towns these cemeteries see if we can capture any dust particles in our pictures at least now we have digital cameras and not we don't have to go and like develop all of our film. Uh, but this, I think this could be like what? At least a weekend trip, right? A weekend to a three week journey. <laughs> I think I can take a sabbatical from work uh, for up to six weeks right now. So I feel like if you want to do the California to Washington, ghost town, Sasquatch, UFO uh, trip, I think I'm going to need more than a weekend. 
Exactly. We'll have to swing by and grab Kim. And so we'll have to like uh, plan this route out to hit all these hotspots. And the Bigfoot Center too. We have to hit like the Bigfoot Center here in, uh, in Oregon. There's so many places we could go. I want to ask you something really quick. You told me yesterday that you had seen this movie. Like one of the last movies that you saw in the theater before everything got shut down and I just thought it was like the coolest story ever and really ironic because you didn't know you'd be recording this with me I don't know it just seemed like I kind of tied in and it wasn't random because nothing is random but tell me about this movie oh well actually I looked more into it and I thought it was minors but it was uh, more about trapping because it takes place oh. in eight first cow takes place in 1820 and I think Central Oregon, they do a really good job of explaining, like, kind of where in Oregon they are. But it just sort of is about, like, these trapping towns and how they're set up. And it literally just, like, uh, a muddy a muddy opening with, like, a few buildings propped up. And one is, like, you know, uh, you know, like a, like a little pub. And then, like, there's, like, a post area and a place where you can buy provisions and then a place where you can sell your furs and whatnot but it was mostly about trappers and that originally I thought it was a little bit later in the century and was about gold the gold rush part to sort of tie our whole all of our stories in together but it was mostly about that but it was just a really good movie and it's sort of about this uh these two men who become friends one is he comes from like the east coast and he you know makes his way out there trying to like find his way but he's just kind of like a really chill quiet dude and the other guy is I believe he's a Chinese immigrant who also like finds his way up there and, and just sort of like some of the adventures they get into when they see this cow and the, the guy's making some biscuits and the biscuits become really popular because they're stealing cow's milk. Uh, so that's really all I can tell you. I'm pretty sure I just gave the whole story. There's, really, there's not like a huge plot, but it's just a very nice, beautifully made, quiet film. Like there's no, I don't even think there's a soundtrack to it. It's just, it's a lot of like nature shots. And I, and I think that, like your love of Oregon and its outdoorsiness will really appeal to you. Cause it was just, it was just really beautiful. And it's just a lot of shots of the land and, you know, rivers and it was just really cool. cool. I think you should see it. I think, yeah. I think you'd probably like it. It's different. It's different. Definitely not no hauntings, uh, no murders. <laughs> no, <laughs> there, there's some crimes a little bit, but yeah, it's just a really, it's just a really the cool movie. Yeah, it was just a really good movie. And yeah, I saw it last March. And I've only seen one other movie in a theater since then. And I haven't been back. So we'll see. Well, this has been really, really fun to have you on this week and to catch up. And we realized that we, we should have been doing this uh, a little bit earlier and, and not letting so much time go by between our conversations and our visits. I mean, we talk, we'll check in and check in about creepy stuff. And you've been keeping in touch since we started the podcast. And that's been really sweet to know that you're listening in Chicago and that we have listeners over there. And uh, it just gives me chills. And I do have to tell <laughs> you another uh, a final thing. Um, you you do have listeners here, and it's not just me. I was telling some coworkers, you know, because we all talk about how much we love true crime podcasts, and we're sharing our podcasts. And I was like, oh, a friend of mine, you know, my friends in Oregon are starting one, and you know, so I, and I, you know, we just kind of like left it at that, and I didn't really think about it after that. And then, so one night, so I ride my bike to and from work, and we lock our bikes up in a bike cage, and I was leaving work one night. And, you know, usually when you're biking, you're not supposed to wear headphones. So everyone always usually has like a little, some people wear headphones, but, you know, a lot of people have like a little speaker that's sort of attached to their jacket or outerwear somehow. And I was walking to the bike cage and I could hear, of what you know, and you hear people's podcast music, whatever. And I was like, oh, my God, that, whoever that voice is, I'm like, it sounds like Christine. <laughs> and then I walk up closer and I see it's one of my team members, one of my friends. And I was like, hey, that sounds like my people's, I'm listening. It's like, I'm listening to the episode. Aww. And I just was like, oh my God, I can't wait to tell Christine. And I feel like I never told you, I never, it was like months ago. It was like during the summer. Oh my gosh. I love it. I love hearing uh, that story. It, it makes me, it just surprises me and it makes me feel happy. And like I said, chills. 
you know, just chills that uh, there are people listening and, and that we have people in other parts of the United States and, you know, even in globally, we have listeners in other places. So it's just, it feels pretty cool and it's special. It's good to know there's other people that like creepy things out there and we're not so weird, right? Yeah, no, I mean, it definitely does help. And uh, yeah, I mean, and we're, we're everywhere. <laughs> we all... We all just have morbid sense of humors, mor- morbid curiosities. You know, for all my friends that aren't into this and that can't stomach it, I, I have more friends that are like, can't get enough of this for whatever variety of reasons why we're all drawn to this genre. Yeah, there's a lot of us. Yeah. I'm so glad we found each other in the fourth grade. I can still picture you with your cute little glasses and you're so, so smart and so like... I was just kind of like drawn to you for uh, you always really, really funny. And and of course, we we didn't know until a little bit later, like I think 13 or so. I think we had said that we were going to be like lifelong friends. So this is so special to get together like this and to be dorks. All, all of those little special moments brought us here to right now this very moment and and everyone should know that we did some like uh vocal exercises before we we signed on earlier so i hope we sound good we were doing some real like uh, uh, different things it was pretty inspiring very intense this is extremely professional situation you know and you are a professional podcaster now and i just wanted to make sure that this episode was the best it could possibly be for you uh, for your listeners um you know, who are also now listening to me. I want to make sure that, you know, I'm giving you my best. Perfect. Well, I appreciate you so much taking your time to, to come on here this weekend and, and hang out with me. We've kind of done like a, a full weekend together. And even though we're in different places of the United States, it's been fun to hang out with you, Pontiff. My pleasure. This is what's good. I, I hope that we find another topic where... I can join in and uh, we'll do this again. Yeah, come back again, okay? 